make a ride right here. Here, here, here. My brother's gonna kill us. He's gonna kill us. He's gonna kill you and he's gonna kill me. He's gonna kill us. Hey, man, just be glad I had fast reflexes. My brother's gonna shit. Make up your mind, dude. Is he gonna shit or is he gonna kill us? First he's gonna shit, then he's gonna kill us. Relax, all right? My old man is a television repairman. He's got this ultimate set of tools. I can fix it. You can't fix this car, Smokali. I can fix it. What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrex10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. All right, if I sound a little bit more happy, a little bit more hyped up, it's because I am, and you should be too, right? It is time now for the last part of of the top 80 albums of 1982. Yes, we are finally in to the top 10. I think I've been anticipating this more than anybody else listening out there. And I don't mean to slight anybody who's a friend of the show who's listening right now. But I've been working on this all year. But I am so glad you're along this journey with me. And let's get into it. Coming in at number 10. And yes, come on. These are definitely all must-own albums. I feel like at least the top 20 of this countdown are all must-owns. There's a lot of killer stuff in this countdown, but these are the best of the best of the best. With honors. Okay, number 10. This one right here. My favorite album by this band, The Damned. And this album here, Strawberries. Now, Strawberries is my favorite Damned record. Yes, The Damned have other great records out there. Everybody talks about the first album. The first album is a classic. Machine Gun Etiquette is awesome. But Strawberries is my favorite damned record. What is this? Their fifth album? Yes, their fifth studio album. Here are my notes. Released on October of 1982. That's absolutely fitting. Produced by Hugh Jones. Man, this is a perfect record. You gotta go check it out. 
And not only is it my favorite damned record of all time, it's got probably my favorite damned song of all time on there. So you can't lose with Strawberries. I don't know what it is about this song. It's just super catchy. The music on it's great. It fits my political narrative. It's a perfect song for me. So let's kick off the show right here by talking about Reagan. Yeah, we're going to talk about Reagan for a second, but we're going to do it via the damned in the best possible way. This is Bad Time for Bonzo. Oh 
kicking off the show here tonight and kicking off the top 10. These are the best albums of 1982. The Strawberries record by The Damned. Absolute must own. I'm going to say that over and over again on this episode, but it's absolutely true. And yet another one here coming at number nine, released in the same month, actually. In October of 82 is this one right here. Interesting journey here for this band. And I've always had this theory in my head about how this band got started. Now, I'm going to talk about Missing Persons. Yes, yes, that Missing Persons. This album here, Spring Session M. The band's debut, and they hit a home run right off the bat, scoring a perfect 100 once again here for me. And, you know, a lot of music snobs might tell you that new wave music is a lesser law, but I don't believe that to be true. There's some perfect new wave albums out there. I would instantly point to an album like this, or maybe even Dare by the Human League. But even those two records are very different in a sense, because Dare is a completely synthetic record. It's all synthesizer bass. There's no live instruments on that record. Still great. Still perfect for me. This one right here, Missing Persons, was a gang of next-level musicians. And if you didn't know this, all three principal players in Missing Persons, Dale Bozio, the lead singer, Terry Bozio, her husband, the drummer, and Warren Cucurullo, the guitar player, all were in Frank Zappa's band prior to Missing Persons. Now, the theory that I have about this band, I'm assuming at some point in the late 70s when all these people were hanging around Frank in the studio or on tour or something like that, I think he just took a look at them all and said, oh, y'all are all good-looking kids. You should really go start a punk rock band or a new wave band and make a million dollars because you're not going to make a million dollars playing this kind of shit. And that just... In my head, I feel like that's what Frank would say. But whether I'm right or not about that, they went ahead and did it, and it totally paid off. I mean, they, they played the Us Festival. They played arguably the biggest gig of the entire decade, and they sold a lot of records here at this debut Spring Session M. They garnered four banger singles with it, Destination Unknown, Words, Walking in L.A., and this one right here. Yes, this was also a single, Equally catchy. Well, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Destination Unknown is the clear-cut number one of those singles. But all the other ones, they're all like 9 on a 10 scale. I'm going to play you this one right here. Just was in the mood to hear it, so now you're going to hear it. From Spring Session M, this is Missing Persons with Windows.
Coming in at number nine on our countdown, that was Missing Persons with their Spring Session M record. That was Windows off that album. Go listen to that album. If you've only heard a handful of those songs, it is a perfect album for my money. And yet another one right here coming in at number eight, although I was really trying to get it in there as number six. So yes, we're going to talk about The Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden. This album came out March 22nd, 1982, produced by the late, great Martin Birch. A lot of people consider this to be Maiden's best record. I don't know if I have that opinion, but I wouldn't debate against it either. It's pretty perfect. It's it's close enough to perfect, and obviously a recommended album in the Maiden canon. Some of the most iconic songs to this moment, they're still being performed live. If Maiden are playing a show tomorrow, they're playing at least, what, two songs off of this? minimum because they would absolutely get stones thrown at them if they didn't play run to the hills or number of the beast so at least playing those two songs but they still throw some of the other ones into the mix actually hallowed be thy name is pretty much played at every show too that's always that's like their black diamond it's like their main set closer for the most part and i think they played it here on this last tour when i saw them this year pretty damn sure about that but i'm gonna go with this one right here i don't recall i don't think i've ever heard this song played live i could be wrong about that but if I've heard it live, it's been a long time since they played it. I've always really liked this one. So I'm going with this one here to represent it on the countdown to represent the number of the beast. This is The Prisoner. We want information. 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 Who are you? The new number two. Who is number one? You are number six. I am not a number. I am a free man. <laughs>
Number eight right there. Up the irons. It's Iron Maiden with The Prisoner from the Number of the Beast album. What else can you say, right? So let's move on to number seven. An album that was originally produced by someone you heard earlier on on this countdown, albeit playing bass for UFO. Yes, this album was produced by Pete Way. Talking about the debut full-length album by one of my favorites of all time. I've been an SMF pretty much my whole life. Twisted Sister and their debut, Under the Blade, came out September 18th, 1982. I played a cut off of this. Actually, I played the title track, the Rough Cuts version on the odds and ends. I'm not going to play that on this particular episode. And there's so many favorites to get into. This album does have a real interesting life to it. So there's those Rough Cuts demos. Basically, they got put out there to hype the release coming out. This original Secret Records recording with Pete Way producing. And then once they actually got a little more famous, the album was remixed and re-released. It almost sounds like an entirely new recording. It sounds like it. I'm not sure if it is. Some of it could be, but yeah, this album has a bunch of different types of versions out there and both versions sound just completely different. So if you're a fan, you got to have both versions. Which one do you prefer out there? If you're listening, if you have both versions, let me know which ones you like, or maybe you think one's better than the other, but the other one that you've had your whole life, you have an affinity for, I, I totally get that as well. But however you listen to it, it's still one of the best albums of 1982 and in just hard rock, heavy metal history for sure. So let's play the song that started it all in a sense. The song that kicks off the album and the song that kicks off most of their live shows throughout their whole history. This is What You Don't Know Sure Can Hurt You. Good evening! If you've got that problem, yeah, well I think that you should know, this ain't the same old story.
Twisted Sister right there with What You Don't Know Sure Can Hurt You. Just get that album in any way possible. If you're a CD person, definitely track down the special edition from a couple of years ago where it's got like the Reading Festival performance on there as a bonus DVD thing. But yeah, there's a lot. Actually, I would recommend a few versions of this album. but And I do have both versions on vinyl, so I'm that nerd. I mean fan. But yes, of course, D. Snyder, one of the greatest frontmen of all time. And just the whole band is great. Mark, JJ, Eddie, AJ. All right. Moving over here, album number six. And I will say this is a tied shared entry. So this is the easiest way I could rank these albums possibly. Also, I wanted to include as many artists as possible. So this particular artist has the distinction of not only being one of my favorite, favorite bands of all time. Gee, that's going on a lot in this episode. But yeah, not only do they have that distinction... But they also have the distinction of having released two, count them, two separate full-length albums in the calendar year of 1982. And it wasn't like beginning and end of the year. They put out a record at the beginning of the year and then one already by the end of the summer. I'm talking about Hanoi Rocks. So out of the two that they put out, so they put out Oriental Beat first and then they put out Self-Destruction Blues second. Out of those two... I would say Self-Destruction Blues is the better of the two. From a song and production standpoint, I would say Self-Destruction Blues has it beat. But I do love me some Oriental Beat. Just found out a few days ago they actually plan on re-releasing the album sometime in the new year. And they're putting a new mix on it because they've always hated the mix on that album. So I will be standing by to see how that sounds. I will be getting it regardless because I'm a fan. But yeah, I'm focusing a little bit here on Self-Destruction Blues mainly because it would have been the one that would have actually come in here on this entry. But like I said, I'm sharing the entry with both albums just because they're Hanoi and they they freaking rule. So Self-Destruction Blues in particular came out at the end of the summer in 1982. Self-produced basically by Andy McCoy and Michael Monroe. They bill themselves as the Muddy Twins. And I've said this over and over again, whether you're into The Cure or whether you're into Motley Crue, Hanoi is probably still your band. They ride both of those styles. They grew up on the basic food groups, Aerosmith, Alice, Kiss, Stones, Iggy and the Stooges. Take all the elements of all the great things about those bands. You throw them in a blender, you got this band. That's what makes them one of the great bands ever. Every single damn band 
in the 80s that played hard rock or heavy metal and especially did it from a pop standpoint or hair metal, if you will, owe something to Hanoi. If they didn't do what they did, none of those bands would look or sound the way they did. That's absolutely a fact. In the same way that all the glam bands of the 70s have to absolutely pay tribute and look at what Bowie, T-Rex, and the Dolls all did. Things like that. So yeah, Hanoi's one of the greatest of all time. I'll play Hanoi songs until I stop doing a show. The first band I ever played on the very first episode was a Hanoi song. So let's play another one here to hopefully further convince the converted, but also try to get some new fans in here. This song, actually, I found out fairly recently that this song was actually going to be covered by Guns N' Roses on the Spaghetti Incident album, which that would have been so cool if had they done it. But at least the consolation prize was that Michael Monroe once again made a guest vocal on a Guns record on that album. He's the one duetting with Axel on the Ain't It Fun cover. So there you go. Fun fact. Let's get to it right here. Imagine Guns doing this, if you will. But check out this awesome song, super fun song off of Self-Destruction Blues. This is Beer and a Cigarette.
coming in at number six on the countdown here, the great Hanoi Rocks with a shared entry of Oriental Beat and Self-Destruction Blues. Those two great records right there. But from Self-Destruction Blues, that was Beer and a Cigarette. Man, that was probably the hardest song to pick out of any of these albums in the top ten, honestly. The other ones I had a pretty good idea. Okay, I'm going to play that song and whatever. But that was a tough call to make. So I hope I represented the album well. Could have gone any direction. And they all would have sounded totally different, which is another reason to love that band. Moving on here, we have Cracked the Top 5, and fittingly Cracked the Top 5, because it looks like they're cracking a window of some sort. From the Screaming Decibels on this album cover, this band's eighth full-length studio album, although they have been a band pretty much almost actively for 20 years at this point here in 1982. They started in the early 60s. An album produced by a guy named Dieter Dirks, who I mentioned on a previous episode. He's back here for this album that came out on March 29th, 1982. The album is called Blackout, a very seminal album here for the Scorpions. Not their best-selling record, but pretty close. The one after that, I think, would be their best-selling record. But there's so many favorites on this album. It's always a good idea to put on this record. Blackout is so great. And much like I said with the Maiden record, if they're not playing at least two songs off of this record, people will riot. Blackout and No One Like You just have to be in the set every single time. There's almost no doubt about that. I'm going to go in a bit of a different direction here. This has always been one of my favorite Scorpions songs. Real strong. A real groover right here. And it's just heavy as hell. I love it. It just never fails to get me going. So to represent the Blackout album, here is the Scorpions with China White.
Coming in at number five here on the top 80 albums of 1982, that was the Scorpions and China White off of the album Blackout. So yes, of course you enjoyed that. You're enjoying all these songs, right? So getting over here into number four, I will say these top four albums, they're all so good. They're all perfect to me. I could switch out any of these in different orders and I would be okay with this list, but this is how I have it down as of today. At least three and four are kind of interchangeable. Two and one are very interchangeable. So it's been a nightmare to put this in any kind of order and rank them as I do. But I'm going to commit here. Coming in at number four is an album that came out on April 14th, 1982. And I got to say, this is the album that really doesn't get a whole lot of respect. And it really makes me mad, actually. And I'm going to tell you why, because it's my show. So what happens with a lot of records that, let's say, for instance, that somebody in the band doesn't like a record. And let's say they actually go on record about it in an interview or multiple interviews in order to maybe trash somebody who had an idea about this record or what have you. But what happens with that is, and the dangerous thing about doing that, is that because there's so much hero worship out there and people just like to sound cool, they'll basically adopt that narrative and now that becomes their opinion. And it contradicts an opinion they had earlier and a feeling they had earlier and now they're doing it because they think somehow by them not liking this album anymore for the reasons that the person in the band doesn't like it anymore, they think in some weird ass way on some plane that they'll hear their opinion and like them or be their friend or something. I don't know. Or maybe they just say it to sound cool in front of their friends. I don't know, but I'm really getting sick of people bagging on the Diver Down album by Van Halen because I still can't find a bad song on here. So what, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Oh, it was half covers. Yeah, I know. Eddie told us uh, you all knew that when the album came out. And even if you didn't know that, you knew at least two of those songs were covers but you liked them, didn't you? They got played on the radio a whole hell of a lot. They still get played to this day. Who doesn't love those damn covers? They're super fun. Didn't they get over initially with a cover song? I'm trying to think. Yes, yes they did. That's what Van Halen did. They were a club band who did covers and they also wrote killer originals and this album has both of those things. So Diver Down is fucking awesome. So shut your ass with this narrative that Eddie put out there in the universe in the 90s that this album isn't any good. Because it's awesome. Some artists just have to be divorced from their own stuff. Alright, end of rant. But yes, this album is super fun. And by the way, nobody knew the kink song, really. I mean, of a certain age, you didn't know that that was a kink song that opened up the record. And you sure as hell didn't have Champagne Charlie by Leon Redbone in your album collection, did you? I mean, your dad might have had it. Maybe. Maybe, but you didn't listen to it, so you didn't know that Big Bad Bill was a Leon Redbone song. So all that stuff being said, yeah, I mean, if I'm going to try to represent the album at a certain point, I would say, yeah, check out these originals, because the originals actually are the things that do get ignored on the album, weirdly enough. As much as people like to say, oh man, they should have done all originals on this, but I don't hear anybody playing them. Like the only original that gets played off of this album in any kind of way is little guitars. And they don't even play that one nearly enough for my money, but there's some killer rockers on this album as well. So I'm going to spotlight one of those because I like both things on this album equally. So yeah, give it up for diver down. 
Give it up for Van Halen, one of the greatest bands in the history of the world, and definitely one of the greatest American bands ever, for sure. Top two or three. Probably number two of the Beach Boys for me. But yes, Van Halen right here from the Diver Down record, and this is The Full Bug. I'm barely one Gonna buy your ass Yeah, you won't let you pass Albums of 1982. That was Van Halen with the Diver Down record, a Ted Templeman produced album. What was that? Their fifth album in so many years. The first album came out in 78. So it's like, yeah, they're on their fifth album already, just killing it. Those first six albums are all perfect. Yeah, that was the full bug, which is kind of their full set closer on the record. And then they finish it off with Happy Trails. That's always a lot of fun as well. 
Speaking of fun, I just recently saw this band live. Actually, a week removed from this recording, actually. I just saw this band live. And I gotta say, maybe that might have actually bumped the album up just a little bit here on this countdown. Not by too much, but they got bumped up maybe one or two entries from my initial ranking. But hey, it happens that way sometimes. And it also brings to the forefront like, oh man, yeah, this record actually does rule, doesn't it? This album came out on July of 1982, produced by Tom Allum. Talking about the mighty Judas Priest, who are still celebrating their 50 years of heavy metal and... Yeah, what else is there to say about Screaming for Vengeance? You must own this record. I think I've owned it about three or four times at this point. If you're talking vinyl, I've probably owned three copies of it over my life. But yeah, I mean, get the deluxe on CD if you can with the bonus live stuff on it. Get fully immersed into the world of Priest. Talk about the singles on here. Talk about the album tracks. Man, I this is one of those albums where every track is equally good. Electric Guy is just as awesome as Take These Chains. Equally great. You got another thing coming, and Bloodstone are equally great. They're all on equal ground here. It's just a perfect heavy metal album. And I was actually all set to play Take These Chains. That was going to be my flex. Like, yeah, it's my favorite album track on here. And, of course, I could have gone Bloodstone. Hell, even Devil's Child, which I actually did do at the show. Man, when I heard this song live last week... I didn't think I could love this song more than I already did, but that's what a great show will do and what a great performance will do. That's another reason why I didn't go see Motley on the stadium tour. Okay, but yes, strap yourselves in for one of the great vocal performances and just overall band performances of all time on record. Here's Priest with the title track, Screaming for Vengeance. Oh! 
coming in at number three of the top albums of 1982, that was Judas Priest, the icons, the newly decorated Hall of Famers right there, screaming for vengeance. If you would believe me if I told you that Rob can still hit those notes because I heard him do it last week, and wow, damn, I'm just now getting my hearing back. That was a loud-ass show, by the way. Queensryche didn't help things. The priests were loud as balls, too, and it was so beautiful, man. Okay, getting over here to number two. If you know anything remotely about me, and once you hear what number two and number one are, you're going to be like, this guy definitely tortured himself over how he ranked this particular countdown. And I'm not mad about my number one or anything. I can't believe that this album is number two. (laughs) So here we go. This album came out. On October 28th of 1982, it was produced by a guy who had almost no experience in hard rock at all, if any. This producer named Michael James Jackson, who had a hell of an ear that turned out this band's best-sounding album of all time. And I feel like that should be saying something, because these guys have had Bob Ezrin produce some of their albums. I am talking about KISS. On their 10th year as a band, they put out their 10th studio album as a band called Creatures of the Night. You're seeing a lot of articles pop up now about Creatures of the Night because it's celebrating its 40th anniversary as of just a few weeks ago. The box set's out. I got both the CD box set, the big super deluxe, and the 3LP version. Uh, Obviously, I'm a huge freaking fan of this album. When I did my Kiss Rock and Rank Super Spectacular, Creatures of the Night came in at number one as my favorite Kiss album of all time. So yeah, kind of love it like all the new articles coming out about it if the new reissues coming out about if it's not convincing you to listen to this album then i don't know what to say to you the only thing i could think to do is play you a song off of it you might have heard i love it loud if you've heard anything off this record you've heard that maybe you've heard war machine if you've seen them live over the last decade or so you've you've definitely heard war machine could have played any of those easily But I'm going to go with this one right here. I initially planned on doing War Machine because I do love it quite a bit. And I was even going to say things like, oh, it really shows off, you know, how good the vocals are or how great Eric Carr plays. But in truth, Eric Carr just smokes on this whole record. He is missed. I don't think there's any other way to really get the point across and just go with the opener. The title track right here, it's going to tear your head off. It always does. And I never get sick of it. So to represent the number two album here of 1982... This is KISS with Creatures of the Night.
coming in at number two of the top 80 albums of 1982. That was Kiss with Creatures of the Night. Further proof how much I love that album. I've listened to it so many times over the last few weeks in different forms. I've listened to all the outtakes and all the demos and all the unique live tracks from that particular tour. And I'm still not sick of it. I still want to listen to this album every single day. I could potentially do that for sure. And I could do that with any of the albums here in the top 10 easily. So you're probably saying to yourself right now, Joey, how is that not number one? You just talked about how much you love this record and you glommed over it. You talked about how you owned basically two different types of box sets over this record. Oh, and I didn't even mention the fact that I own, you know, both versions of that album, the 82 mix and the 85 remix on all the formats. <laughs> so yeah, that that's also a thing. What could possibly be number one? Well, the whole, like, I own the album box set debate, it, it cancels each other out because the number one album here on my list, I also own one of those full immersion box sets just focusing on this one particular album. So the, it kind of cancels each other out. <laughs> so... And the reason I'm also making this album my number one album is because, yes, some of it is quite the nostalgia in the sense that once I heard this record, my life changed immediately. I went from being someone that didn't have any kind of purpose in life as a three-year-old <laughs> to being like, oh, music is going to be my thing for the rest of my life. These songs gave me my musical awakening. And that's an absolute fact. So this album came out on October 27th of 1982, a self-produced album, because every album by this artist is self-produced. Ah, there we are. The newly christened Prince and the Revolution and their album, 1999. A perfect album, just like a handful of these here on this particular countdown. Yeah, I kind of said it all there. This album changed my life. I went through the whole thing, and it doesn't even suffer from the double album syndrome. I can't find any filler on here for my money. I've played it over and over again in my lifetime, and I tried to really sit down and do the critical thing with it. This time around especially, I still can't find anything wrong with it. So it is a perfect album. It is my favorite album of 1982. So that's it. Period. <laughs> End of countdown. Okay, but let's play the song. So, I'm going to do the same thing I did with the Creatures album. Going to play the one that opens up the whole record. Because you really should go in and listen to this whole thing. So I don't want to spoil anything about it. Because it never lets up. And this is one of the ultimate pace setters. One of the great track ones of all time. Also happens to be one of the great title tracks of all time. Yes, we are closing off this countdown with Prince and the Revolution. From the album 1999, here is the song 1999. Full album version. Don't worry. I won't hurt you. I only want you to have some fun.
closing off the show here tonight and closing off the top 80 albums of 1982 coming in at number one prince and the revolution in 1999 there you have it the countdown's over i'm feeling a massive sense of relief and happiness right here because i'm off for about a week-long vacation with my better half that you're going to hear in a second so i'm a happy guy right now i'm probably listening to this on the road just like some of you are right now. So yeah, we'll be back next week. And I think I'm going to try to kick off the next countdown because, hey, I'm, I'm on a timetable here. So I'll just say right now, and to answer your question, Scott Crouch, yes, we are doing the best of 1992 once I get back from vacation, which, will, like I said, I'll only be gone for like six, seven days. So it's all good. So I hope you enjoyed this countdown. Send all the feedback. Tell all your friends especially the ones who need these songs and albums in their lives. That's really what it's all about. Thank you all, super friends of the show. Now I'm going to send it over to my travel companion and my better half, Nola, with the plugs, the best damn outro song, and all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on Sirius XM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun.
Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. That's fine, and that's it. If you can't make it in 15 tries, off you go to Colorado. Yeah!